Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. My guest today is Nate Morris, the founder and CEO of Rubicon, a software company dedicated to modernizing the waste management industry. I'll be speaking with him about the relationship between environmentalism, capitalism, technology, and entrepreneurship. Nate has been featured on Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40 list and has been recognized as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim, very much. It's a pleasure to be on today. Let me start with this. How hard is it to start a business in America today, especially if it's one where you have very high uh, aspirations? We talk about small business and uh, and entrepreneurs, and and sometimes it, it, it's a it's a family business. You know, it's a restaurant or a dry cleaners, which are fantastic. But some people start business because they want these things to be big, important uh, businesses. And I think that's probably why you started your business. How easy is it to do that? I mean, or I guess the other side of it, how hard is it to do that? You know, that's a it's a fundamental question that a lot of uh, individuals ask when they're contemplating the idea of jumping in and and starting a company. And what I tell people is uh, the idea is usually the easy part. It's the execution and getting going and really the courage to put one foot in front of the other. And I often tell people the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is the reputational risk. It's not the time or the energy. It's it's telling friends, family, colleagues, uh, even your boss, uh, folks at school, hey, I'm I'm leaving or I'm going to go do something else. I'm starting out on my own. And a lot of people, uh, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Well, maybe I should be doing that or how does he or she get to do that? And so I think the hardest challenge is the reputational aspect of starting a business. Uh, but it's it's very challenging, but very rewarding. And I think uh, getting started today is is all about asking the right questions. What problem are you solving? Because uh, I believe that the bigger the problem you solve, the more the market rewards you. And we were fortunate at Rubicon uh, about a decade ago to stumble upon the waste management industry that for thousands of years had not changed, arguably since ancient Rome. I often tell people even Julius Caesar had uh, you know, oversight of his landfills and the Romans recycled. Uh, but we're still landfilling at scale today in America and various parts of the world. And Rubicon helps to solve a big challenge to get off of this landfill model. So we were fortunate that we stumbled upon a very big challenge. And even if we were just a little bit right, we could make a, a, a really uh, sizable impact because uh, not a lot has changed. But, uh, you know, we started with 10 grand on a credit card. I did. I had student loan debt. Uh, my mom asked a lot of tough questions. You know, why are you doing this now? <laughs> uh, is this the industry that that you wanted to do? Uh, you know, you could have done a lot of different things. This is the toughest industry, arguably, in the world. So it's that reputational risk, I believe, Jim, that's that's the toughest part. What do you think drives entrepreneurs? Obviously, they and you want to make money, and that's fine. We're capitalists here. 
But how much of your work is also driven by wanting to build something that lasts? That's certainly really at the forefront of what we do and, and how we started. Uh, certainly, everybody wants to make money. There's no question. And that's the fundamental crux of what America is all about is a free market system. And at Rubicon, I think that uh, there's nothing more American than when you can make money with garbage. Uh, <laughs> but, but we also saw an opportunity to reframe the environmental debate. Uh, I came from uh, a place of Kentucky that had been under the microscope for the coal industry for a very long time. Uh, and climate change and the climate debate had been largely associated to working people like the people that I knew in my family with job loss. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, that was crazy, that uh, we should be able to generate great environmental outcomes, but lead with the market, not have the government pick winners and losers. And that's really what prompted me to say, we could solve a big environmental challenge like waste. You know, why is it that the waste industry hasn't changed for thousands of years? Why is it that uh, the government isn't mandating more regulation or more insight around the way the waste industry is working? Uh, I didn't know the answer to that question, but I did see that the industry could improve and that capitalism and that being a conscious business person, an entrepreneur, socially conscious person, uh, that we could have a big impact and we could also get a generation of Americans to think differently about the environmental movement to say, it doesn't have to be the people in California, New York who have all the fun, and it can be the business leaders of this country that help drive that change, not the people out of Washington. And so uh, that to me was a rewarding aspect of this. And also when I go home to Kentucky to be able to say uh, to members of my family or people that I know that work in factories or work in tough jobs to say, you could be part of this environmental movement. You don't have to have solar panels or drive a Prius uh, to feel like you're part of making a difference in the environment. I think uh, uh, a lot when people think of the environment, a, a lot of it is sort of at the level of of climate change. Um, I, I, I'm not sure sort of the waste, the waste that is generated by our society that we we think a lot about. Maybe we drive by a landfill or maybe we assume uh, it. it the waste gets taken to, to China or something like that. Um, so what do you think people, so what don't people understand uh, about that industry and how it works and, and, and sort of what and how you want to change it? It's a great question. And, you know, think about the garbage that you throw away every day. Um, you know, typically, you know, I know on average, I, I throw eight to 10 pieces of, of trash away a day. Hopefully, I have opportunities to recycle those pieces of waste. Uh, but the carbon emission that's associated uh, with waste is significant and actually mirrors that of some of the other categories in our economy that are incredibly impactful uh, to whichever side of the debate you're on. But we know for a fact, regardless of what science tells us, how long can you continue to bury garbage in the ground and not think that it doesn't have a big impact on water quality, air quality, uh, everything that we bury in the ground, we know it, it gets into the soil, which ultimately gets into our food, which gets into our bodies. Uh, you, you know, common sense, if you look at it, will show that burying garbage at scale doesn't make a lot of sense. And 
you know, we say at Rubicon that waste is essentially a design flaw. So if we're producing a lot of waste, that means that our manufacturing could be run better. That means that the products that we're producing uh, could improve at the way that they're being manufactured and the materials that we're using. Uh, that means that we need to have some behavior change because there's also an economic benefit to that as well, aside from the environmental implications. Uh, but look, I, I was I was raised by uh, a single mother and also by grandparents that came from the country and, and uh, they didn't waste anything. And I waste to me is very offensive in, in any of its forms, whether it be wasted tax dollars or uh, wasted material. And I just think as, as a country as a whole, uh, we've gotten conditioned that, you know, wasting things is OK. And uh, I think we can reframe this debate that if we waste less, we're going we're to have better environmental outcomes. We're going to save money and we're going to run better businesses as a whole, because waste definitely tells a story. Uh, if you look at anthropologists, when they study ancient civilization, they go to garbage uh, to help uncover how that civilization was was running the day-to-day -day, uh, of the township or of the city or of the municipality. Uh, waste unveils clues uh, about how you live and what you value. So we need to do it right and we need to minimize waste at all costs. And uh, and so and so how do you do that and how can we do that better? What does your company do to make that happen? Yeah, it, it all gets down to uh, it's a business model question. You know, um, we're competing against very large incumbents. Uh, our business, Rubicon, which uh, I helped to found about a decade ago, started in Kentucky and started, as I mentioned, with a $10,000 line of credit. Uh, we set out to examine, you know, what is wrong with the waste industry? Why are we producing so much waste? Why do we get paid to bury trash in the ground? And it all goes back to the incentives. So if you look at the two big players, now the three big players that are occupying our economy, they own the landfills. And when they pick up your trash, they're trying to take your trash and put it into the landfill they own and then charge rent on that garbage every month. So oftentimes it's a pretty um, simple model. Yeah. So oftentimes people think of uh, the trash company as a trucking company or a logistics company. They're actually in the real estate business and they get paid to bury garbage in the ground. And I was young and naive enough to think, well, gee, I could change that. We could change that at Rubicon. And we said it begins by starting by being divorced of the assets, not having a dog in the fight, meaning we're not going to own trucks. We're not going to own landfills. So we can be agnostic about the, the solutions that get created, meaning that instead of being relegated to a landfill, we could actually uh, partner with more recycling plants, or we could actually control the volume in a local economy and be able to incentivize more recycling solutions to get built in that economy. Uh, so that was really the first part. The second part was, is that we saw a big technology gap in the space. Uh, believe it or not, uh, most of the waste industry today is at best running on a DOS-based system. So you think about the big players, they are running archaic technology at best. Uh, they're light years behind the rest of the economy when it comes to data and products. And you think about how important waste is to be able to tell a story to the impact that you're having. 
but also monitoring uh, the material that's coming in and out of your business. So you can make adjustments to our earlier point that maybe you're not being as efficient uh, with the way you're manufacturing. So we set out to build a great platform for the industry uh, that could really begin to collect metrics to really have waste tell the, the story about how effective a business is operating from a uh, manufacturing perspective or uh, the way that the supply chain in that business is operating, uh, the environmental impact of that business. And again, waste leaves clues. So that gives us the information we need to make adjustments up the supply chain to hopefully stop waste before it begins. And, and then the what last, is the, okay. I'm, oh, go ahead. Finish oh, up. oh, and one other thing I'd say, Jim, is, yeah. is also just the experience, uh, reimagining what that uh, consumer experience or operational experience is like. Waste today at scale uh, operates very much like a utility. Like, hey, as long as it gets picked up, we don't care who does it. And at Rubicon, we wanted to make it ease of use at the top of our priority list uh, to operate and function like any 21st century product would uh, and make it fun and engaging and a delight to deal with as opposed to dealing with uh, your cable company or dealing with some other experience that hasn't been particularly great. And, and how, I mean, how do you, what does that look like for the uh, consumer? So that's, uh, you know, engaging in a, in a, technical platform, uh, an, an iPhone experience, a product experience, uh, any sort of smartphone. Uh, that's also getting the analytics at your fingertips. Uh, that's also having, in some cases, uh, the concierge approach to uh, being able to uh, detect the type of material that's being produced on site mm -hmm. so we can actually create more recycling experiences uh, and really being an advocate for that, that client or customer as opposed to just a service provider uh, that says, hey, we're just gonna pick it up and move on. Uh, but really seeing the waste as a resource and having that experience reflect that. And uh, one thing, I, I'm not sure I knew this, but that, that for a lot of, uh, I mean, this is a huge budget line for a lot of cities, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that we've focused on this year, we've released our first ever ESG report and one of the, the things that was very provocative uh, that's never been done before in an ESG report is actually release uh, taxpayer savings. So we wanted to make sure that the market saw that not only are we trying to have impact, but we're also trying to help the American taxpayer um, to get relief because of the solutions that we're creating. Do, do cities, I mean, this is, it's a data business in large part. So do cities, generate data that you can then use and analyze or how much of this data that you're sort of generating for, for you know talk about cities or anybody else that you're sort of now generating for them that they didn't have before or did they have it they just didn't know what to do with it it's a little bit of both in some cases they don't have any uh and they're really starting from scratch uh you think about waste is is one of the most overlooked categories if not the most overlooked category uh, in any operating business. Uh, again, as long as it's getting picked up and taken away, no one asks any questions. But what we find in cities is, is an opportunity to score tremendous points and really put cities on a path to being smart and resilient. And our products that we're able to install at the city level uh, immediately start with cost savings to the taxpayer. 
uh, through better routing, better efficiency, uh, more driver engagement. Uh, safety is the cornerstone of the product as well, making sure that the drivers are safe and that the constituents of the various cities or towns uh, are, are being watched over as well uh, from that safety. And also thinking about that the trash truck goes to every home and every business. Uh, what an opportunity to collect data around road conditions, around weather, around even things like graffiti, uh, things that are happening inside the city that the garbage truck can detect while it's driving. Uh, very similar to, uh, Jim, I don't know if, you, if you've ever driven a Tesla or owned a Tesla, but when that Tesla starts running, uh, much of the time it's also getting data points around mm -hmm. the car. And we've been able to do, in some cases, uh, the same thing with the garbage truck to be able to collect data around the truck uh, because it has such a great site purview of so much of cities and roads because it goes so many different places. So the amount of data that we collect around a city to really inform that mayor or that city supervisor uh, is really fantastic about how to improve their city from an infrastructure perspective or even a crime perspective. Uh, it's, it's really staggering the information that we're able to get. Do we not send a bunch of, uh, stuff to China anymore? It seems like we used to, but do we, do we not do that anymore? You know, for many years, uh, since China entered the WTO in the late nineties, uh, China has been the world's landfill. That was part of the deal is that, uh, countries, developed countries from around the world use China to send a lot of quote unquote recyclables there. Uh, China said enough, we're not taking any more. And what this has done is exposed uh, the lack of infrastructure that we have today in the United States to manage our garbage. And what many see as a crisis, we see as an opportunity at Rubicon because we have the data to inform uh, the kind of solutions that need to be manufactured and built here in this country to be able to uh, process and recycle and create circular solutions for our waste uh, that were just being landfilled in China. And so we think that this is a not only a jobs opportunity uh, as these recycling plants get built, and but also a resiliency issue for our cities. And this is something that the next generation, when they're considering moving to, uh, whether it be Lexington, Kentucky, or Atlanta, Georgia, or Austin, Texas, uh, I believe the city's resiliency profile and the way that they're managing their environmental footprint uh, is going to be critical to attracting new citizens. So this is a we believe in this crisis, there is a tremendous opportunity to reshape and remake uh, the American waste system and move it off the landfill model at scale. And we see public policy is it, is now. It, is it easy to build? Is it easy to like open a new landfill? Is, is that happening or is it does that kind of. Are there still new landfills opening or are we using the, the existing ones? How does that work? There's certainly a finite amount of time that's left on the landfills that exist here in the United States. And I, and I would be hard pressed to think that anyone would invest in a landfill in today's world, given what we know about the harm uh, that's being caused by them uh, and the environmental implications. And we, we know it's not the future. Uh, you know, certainly we landfill waste today. We have to. Uh, the, the infrastructure does not exist to be able to move everything to a recycling plant. Uh, so we have to use the assets that are available today in the country. But certainly we know that that's not the future. So 
what we say is uh, let's invest in those recycling plants. Let's invest in anaerobic digestion for food waste. Uh, let's attract those investors to come here to the United States so we can move off this model at scale. But our landfill capacity is running out around the country. So we've got to move quickly. And I think that this is a bipartisan issue that's market led uh, where we can get an environmental win as a country. And for once in a long time, really bring a lot of people together on an issue that's been so divisive. People tend to associate environmentalists with the left, but it seems weird that the environment is such a politically divisive issue. What are your thoughts on that? It's a it's a very interesting question. And, and I scratch my head because I believe um, the Republican Party, for instance, was some of the early movers on the environmental movement, you know, from Teddy Roosevelt to Richard Nixon, uh, even to Ronald Reagan and George Bush in the 80s related to uh, some of the Clean Air Act and, and, and acid rain legislation that we saw. Um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's a personal hero of mine, you know, since I was a kid. And I've always loved the environment and never thought that, that politics had anything to do with it. It's the right thing to do. And we also see a generational shift that this is, a, this is not a, a passive issue for millennials and below, that if you don't have an environmental message as a company, I believe you're going to be left behind. Um, and so I think that brands, uh, businesses, governments, they recognize this. And I think as, as the two-party system continues to move forward in our country, I think both parties have to think about how they're going to be relevant on this issue. And I believe the fundamentals of sustainability have to start with economics as well, because it's all well and good that we have the right intentions. But if we can't have uh, the ability to pay for these initiatives and make them make sense for business, uh, they're not going to be long term, uh, long term viable, you know, for, for anyone. And we're not going to be able to pay for these things. So I think business has to lead the way. Uh, we've certainly tried to do our part here at Rubicon to show that business can be a leader on the environment and that the private sector can step up and that, you know, just because you're in business doesn't mean uh, you can't make big moves and have a big impact on uh, the way people look at this issue. So you can be you can be a, uh, a good capitalist and also a good environmentalist at the same time. That's exactly right. Absolutely. My guest today has been Nate Morris. Nate, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been a pleasure. 